How are you doing this morning? You look fantastic, I must tell you. look fantastic. Uh, hey, I really encourage you to be a part of this uh, Tuesday night thing as we come together and uh, well, half the country will be celebrating uh, victory and the other half will be sad and moaning and whatever. Uh, we're going to be celebrating our king, our president, President Jesus. And so, yes. And uh, so be a part of that. Third way will be joining us and Seth McCoy, who's the pastor, will be sharing some words and I'll be sharing some words and it'll, it'll be a good time. Uh, really, 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 really appreciate Bruxy uh, filling in last week. I love that guy. Isn't he a doll? He's just a doll. He's just a doll. I just, uh, I, he's such a kick. Uh, when I got home uh, on Sunday, we went out. I took him to Mickey's Diner. thought I'd show him the real elegant, uh, uh, best that St. Paul has to offer. He just loves that kind of thing, though. And uh, just spent some time. And he's just uh, a precious guy. I just get such a kick out of him. Uh, and a great message, too. I, I just, I, you know, he has the most interesting take on Ephesians 4.26, where Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your, on your anger. And... Uh, um, I've never seen it that way before. I, I, and and if, actually, if he's right, the way I've been teaching it for 20 years is wrong, which is impossible. <laughs> but he makes a pretty good case. I got to say, he's, he makes a pretty good case. And, and uh, um, uh, it just might be that uh, the first mistake I've ever made, I hate to bust your bubble of infallibility, but it's, I've blown that shtick already. So, all right. But uh, that was great. Uh, another little uh, preamble word here is uh, if you like to dance and, or if you just like good music, my band, NBY, we're not dead yet. We're going to be playing at O'Gara's on Friday from 9 to 1. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, so if you like to have fun and, and uh, support a cause, that, that'd be uh, good. Come on out to be part of that. Um, and oh, about Bruxy, I am going to be, uh, and keep us in prayer, I actually have to, I won't be able to talk to anyone after the service. I got to bolt out of here because I got to catch a plane because I and some of the other leaders of Woodland Hills are flying up to Bruxy's church, the meeting house. And we're going to spend a couple of days up there just sort of um, praying and, and discussing about what kind of relationship we're to have and how we're to partner to further the kingdom and stuff like that. So uh, keep us in prayer on that. Exciting things are happening. Uh, as we're going through this message, uh, if you have questions that arise, text them to this number. Can we get that number up here? Um, and um, I'll try to have time at the end of this service to answer those questions. There it is right there. Uh, now, the first two services, we haven't even gotten close to having time for the questions. I've really been bad this weekend in terms of gauging my pace. I've been long-winded or anointed. You choose. But I... Have, <laughs> So I'm really going to try to uh, leave some time here. So we need to be praying for succinctness. I seem to lack that gift this weekend. Uh, but I'm going to try to leave, leave some uh, space uh, for questions at the end of this. So we're talking about the Blessed Revolution. And the Blessed Revolution is about the Beatitudes, which are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And so this week we're covering verses 7 and 8, which are the Beatitude of mercy and purity of heart. Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. One question just to think about as I'm going through this, and I'll get to it at the end of the message, is this. When Jesus says that the merciful are blessed because they'll be shown mercy and the pure in heart are blessed because they'll see God, is he saying that that's some kind of reward? Like, like if you're a good 
boy, you'll get a present. If you eat your vegetables, you get a cookie. Is mercy a, a reward like that? Because if it is, that's odd, isn't it? Because I mean, if, 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 if God gives you mercy because you've been merciful, well, then it's like you deserved it. You earned it. But how can it be mercy if it's something that you earn? Think about it. Pray with me here. Abba, Father, I just thank you, God, for the uh, sense of your presence in this place. I thank you, God, for every person in this auditorium and listening through podcasts and television and whatever it means. And God, we just together pray that you open up our hearts and open up our minds to receive your word in a deep way. God, that we would leave here with a, as a people uh, who have a greater capacity to show mercy, to live with compassion, and to be pure of heart to be salt and light to the world around us. Lord, just anoint this message, infuse it with your power to bring the kingdom, to change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. I'll deal with mercy, and then I'll deal with purity of heart, and then I'm going to raise the question about what kind of reward does Jesus offer here in in these Beatitudes. Mercy is really about this. It it has to do with uh, being uh, empathetic, with empathizing with another in order to have compassion on another, a person who, has, who is in need. The word empathy, uh, it comes from a combination of the prefix M, which means into, and pathos, which means to suffer. So it's entering into the suffering of another, getting on the inside of their suffering, walking in their shoes, experiencing the world from their perspective. And as you do that, you're moved towards compassion. Now, compassion is the pre- has the prefix come, which means alongside of, and the word pathos again, to suffer. So it means to suffer alongside of or in conjunction with. So what mercy is about is that there's a person in need and you enter into their suffering. You imagine what you would need and want if you were in their situation. And that leads you then to sacrifice to suffer sacrifice of your own resources in order to come around the person or the group uh, and, and, and to meet that need. That's what mercy is all about, showing mercy on another. Mercy can be given to a person who has a physical need or physical element, as, for example, the, the folks in the Gospels, when they would cry out, have mercy on a son of David because they were blind or afflicted or whatever. You show mercy with regard to any need that a person might have. But it has a particular application to people who need forgiveness. People who are guilty. And so mercy in these contexts is about um, not giving the person the judgment that maybe they deserve, but giving them kindness that they maybe don't deserve. Because you understand, you enter into what it would be like to be in their shoes, in need of forgiveness. It leads you to have compassion on them, and so you give them forgiveness. You have mercy on them. See, this is what God does with us. It's an amazing thing. It's really absolutely mind-boggling that God is willing to enter into empathy, to empathize with us, to enter into our suffering as guilty, condemned sinners. The all-holy God, the Bible tells us this, the all-holy God is not above stooping to enter into and take on and experience uh, our perspective, our suffering, our, our guilt. God isn't guilty, of course, but he takes on that experience. That's what the cross is all about. Paul says this, and this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible because it's just so radical. That God made him who knew no sin, the sinless Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. To be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that incredible? He made him to be sin. Jesus didn't, wasn't, he never sinned, 
But he took it on himself. He experienced it from the inside. It's whatever sin you've got, Jesus knows from the inside what you're feeling. He knows what it's like to, to feel guilty. That's what it feels like to be separated from God. That's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he empathizes with us on the cross, and then he shows compassion on us. He, uh, instead of bringing the judgment that we deserve, he gives us the forgiveness we don't deserve. Instead of giving us the hell we deserve, he gives us the heaven we don't deserve. Praise God. Instead of letting us in our sin to be isolated and alienated and separated from him, he experiences our separation so that we don't have to. He, he experiences our separation so that now he can take us and, and uh, showers us with the kindness of his own righteousness, his own righteousness, his own holiness. He gives it to us. And then he takes us on the inside of himself. He incorporates us into Jesus, into the Son, and seats us in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. Instead of giving us the judgment, he envelops us in his own triune being, smothers us in his love, smothers us in his grace. It's fantastic. Uh, he, he, he makes us holy and blameless and pure and children of God with an un, un, incredible inheritance that will last forever. Praise God, blessing us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He fills us with his spirit and gives us his joy and his peace and, 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 his, and his character. Instead of judgment, he gives us everything. That, folks, is mercy. That is mercy. It's beautiful mercy. It's an unfathomably gorgeous mercy, and we are all the recipients of it if we just say yes to it. So when we say yes to it and when we surrender to him, we become, uh, in a unique sense, the children of God. He, he's Abba Father. And the um, Bible tells us that then we're born from above. We are born of heaven. Uh, he, he bequeaths to us, those who he's adopted as children, he gives us his, his character, his nature. He fills us with his spirit. He, he, uh, um, we have got his DNA running in us. Which means that when we surrender to him, we are given the character of mercy. We have the same mercy. The same mercy he's shown towards us is now in us. That is your true identity as a child of God. And uh, we, we, we sometimes smother that. We smother it with our, our, our old self, our thoughts of our, our old self. We keep on running the old tapes of our that we inherited from the world, and it, it, it blocks that true character from coming out. But you got to know, if you're a child of God, if you're genuinely surrendered to him, you have got the character, the merciful, loving character of Abba Father in you. That DNA is in you. And our job in life is to manifest that, amen? It's just to let that out and to put on display the character, the merciful character of God. That's why the kingdom is all about mercy. It's all about a, a people who are willing to enter into the suffering of others. Uh, and, and to experience it from the inside and then to have compassion on them. That's why, folks, we are always about, if you've been here for any length of time, you know this, we're, we're, we are always putting up ministries like COFED, um, where we're asking you to think about what it would be like to be in their shoes. And what would you want people to do if you were in their shoes? And they were to listen to God, who will call us, as he sees fit, uh, to step out and have compassion on folks. To pool our resources together to meet their needs. We have, many of us, so much. And other folks around us have so little. And what Jesus is asking is for us uh, to uh, empathize with folks and have compassion on folks and show mercy on folks and put on display his character by sharing our resources with others. Amen? That's what it's all about. The kingdom is a kingdom of mercy. Because we put on display the character of God. We'll never do that unless we are willing to allow the pain of others in on our life. You see, in our fallen condition, we tend to be apathetic. We tend to block out 
pain that we don't have to face. Life's hard enough for all of us, and so why would I go out of my way to try to enter into the pain of a stranger? Life's hard enough. And so people in the fallen world tend to block out the pain. We hear about tragedies, and it's just a statistic to us. We block that out uh, because we've got enough to deal with. But see, we as the people of God are called to um, go out of our way, to enter into, to imagine life from their perspective in order to have compassion on them and to share our resources. If we don't do that, it's, it's unlikely that we'll ever be compassionate. We tend to, two things block mercy, and that is our apathy and our judgment. Apathy being, look, at life's hard enough, I can't deal with that, I'm not going to, I'll deal with my own pain, but I don't want to deal with others. Or judgment, where we have stuff that keeps us from entering into a merciful attitude. It's so crucial that we are willing to think what life would be like in another person's shoes. I was at Target uh, a couple, I guess two years ago now. And uh, Target and University Avenue, it's right by where I live. And I meet the most interesting people at Target on University Avenue. It's very interesting, uh, incredible diversity of people. And there's a lady there a couple years ago who had a child, I guess eight or nine years old. And this kid had clearly had some challenges, um, I think some disabilities, some behavioral disorders. And he was having a hissy fit and he was throwing things and screaming and kicking. And, and this lady was trying to do her shopping while also trying to control this child. And it was really kind of a mess. And I could see in the eyes of a number of people, not all of them, thankfully, but some, just eyes of judgment. And you just hear, it's not like their eyes were speaking. And what their eyes were speaking was, what is wrong with you, lady? What kind of a mother are you? If that was my kid, I'd put him in place. My kids would never get away with acting like that. Uh, you know, where'd you get your parenting skills? Just spank that child or put him in his place, blah, 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 blah. And you could fix it that way. All this judgment. Now, as I was looking at this lady, I was moved. I, 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 my heart hurt for her. And part of the reason I think my heart hurt for her rather than judged her was that uh, Shelly and I know what it's like to raise a child with disabilities and what it's like to raise a child who's got uh, pervasive behavioral disorder. We know what it's like to be in a restaurant and the child has a meltdown because there's too, much, too many people talking at the same time and they can't think. Or what it's like to have a meltdown, public meltdown, because the peas are touching the potatoes. Or because they didn't cut the toast the right way. We know what that's like to have a child like that. And you can't apply the same standards to children like this that you'd apply to other, other children. And so I know from the inside what it would be like to be her, and therefore I'm not moved to judgment. I'm rather moved to, to compassion. Well, see, we as the people of God, we're called to, whether we actually have the experience of another or not, we're called to imagine, to try to step in their shoes and to collapse all of our judgments. The truth is, and this is so foundational, the truth is that judgment is the opposite of mercy. The word for judgment in Greek is krino, which means to separate. And there's a good kind of Judgment, which I would translate discernment, when you separate healthy things from unhealthy things, or good from evil, or what's kingdom and what's not kingdom, that's fine. But there's a kind of judgment that the New Testament really cracks down on as absolutely sinful. And that's when we judge other people. When we, because that involves separating from other people. Crino, to separate. See, mercy is moving towards the person, right? To get on the inside of the person. And to try to experience, imagine life in their shoes. Judgment separates you from the person and puts you above the person. It's the opposite of that. 
And one of the reasons we like it so much is that if you're judging another, well, you don't feel any responsibility to try to get on the inside of, of, of what they're going through. It's very convenient. It also makes us feel good, like we're superior. And the reality is, though most people don't know this, the reality is that our heads tend to be polluted with judgment. It is, I've argued in the book Repenting of Religion, it is the, the quintessential expression of the fall. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is original sin. Uh, we, it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because we put ourselves in the position of God, like we are the judge of the world. And the truth is, is that our minds tend to be, unless you're a disciple of your mind and are intentional about going in the opposite direction, we tend to have judgments all the time. I woke up to this about 10, 15 years ago. I've shared this before where I was in a mall, and all of a sudden, I, I just became aware of all the chatter in my brain. Have you ever noticed this? Where all of a sudden, you've been talking, and we're so used to our internal talk that we don't know that we're doing it. But there's all this... I'm assessing people. I'm, I'm like an editorial column or a gossip column in my brain. And I'm sitting there and without knowing it, I'm uh, approving of this and disapproving of that. I like that, but I don't like that. Oh, that must be a good parent. Oh, that's a lousy parent. Oh, look at that. You don't need that hamburger, do you? And I, I, all this commentary. <laughs> and all of it is presupposing like I'm here, Mr. Huffy Tuffy, King Greg Boyd, King of the Universe, and I'm above the fray, and I will, you know, I, God has given me the assignment of, of, of assessing a good and evil, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all of it presupposes that I'm not like that. See, that's, that's a judgment. I, I would never. When you gossip, it's about like, we're not like that person, are we? No, we're better. Oh, look how that person's dressing. Oh, how, uh, yeah, just, just, every one of those thoughts. See, here's the thing. We hardly ever talk about this. Um, and yet, it's so, I think it is the, the major, the most fundamental obstacle to our manifesting the merciful, loving character of our Father. Every one of those thoughts is a cork on the flow of God's love and mercy in our life. It just corks it. You can't both be moving towards a person to empathize with them while also separating from them. By the same means, you can't be ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself, which is what love is, ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. You can't be doing that while also separating from a person and ascribing worth to yourself at cost to them. That's what judgment is. At their expense, I'm feeling superior. It is shiest. Excrement. Yeah. It's, it's the antithesis of the kingdom, and it blocks our mercy in our life. And so if we're going to be the people who really have mercy, who manifest mercy and compassion, we've got to be the people who don't judge, who just collapse all judgment, who are intentional about waking up to the chatter in our brain. And when we find that it's there, we set it aside. And I, I, I come back to this all the time because it's so fundamental. You're declaring war on the fall. You're declaring war on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When, when you find the chatter in your brain, and it's there all the time, if you, if you wake up to it, you just set it aside. And you remind yourself that as a kingdom person, you've got one job and one job only. And it's very, very simple. Agree with God that the person you're seeing, whoever they are, whatever they've done, however they look, whatever they're doing, you agree that that person was worth Jesus dying for. Because that's the one thing you know about them. That's the one thing that's true. Amen. And then tell your brain to shut up. <laughs> Just fill it with blessing thoughts so you don't give it any room to uh, uh, have, have uh, these, these judgmental thoughts. You see, and, and, it, and you just bless people, you just love people. Unless a person's invited you in on their life to, to have, a, have an opinion about how they're doing because they want you to help them walk out the kingdom. Unless that is the case, 
our attitude should be the same as the Apostle Paul. When he said to the Corinthians, I resolved when I was among you to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know nothing about Jesus Christ except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, you know, I, whatever I see, whatever, whether I like it or don't like it, the only thing I'm, I, I'm to agree with is, is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. You were worth him dying for. That's the kingdom job. And, uh, and to be a blessing machine and just let that flow. Collapse the judgments and be a blessing machine. It can be very hard sometimes. I mean, the first job is to wake up to it. The second job is to, is to, to uh, um, push past. I mean, sometimes when you're dealing with enemies or folks that hate you or folks that have, you know, are ought to do you in, uh, maybe are threatening you in some ways, or folks whose life represents the opposite of, uh, of, of what you want your life to represent. For whatever reasons, when we confront people like that, now it can be very challenging to press through our judgments. Even when we're, we, we, we wake up to the judgments in our head, I uh, see these folks, the... These folks are, they activate our, our buttons. They push our buttons, our judgment buttons like nothing else. Uh, and yet, it's so crucial. If we're going to be kingdom people, that we do that. We're to show mercy. Jesus says in, in Luke 6, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. He's, he's merciful to the, to the, uh, the ungrateful and the wicked. So also, you will be children of the Most High God when you are merciful like that. Merciful like the sun shines. Merciful like the rain falls. We don't get to pick and choose who we're merciful towards. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. No, it doesn't matter whether they're your enemies or not. Your job as a kingdom person is to love them. Now, to, to do that, I have found that I, I can't do that. Not if they're really nasty folks who want to do you in, or not if they're, they, they manifest something that you just find absolutely repugnant. You can't possibly enter into their world and experience it from the inside and have compassion on them and not judge them unless you're praying for them. I think that's why Jesus says several times, pray for your enemies. I encourage you, pick out the person, make this a regular part of your discipleship. Find the person you love the least and commit to praying for them. God did that to me uh, about 10, 10, 12 years ago. There's a bunch of people who were trying to just to do me in, and ruin my reputation, and have people boycott bookstores that would sell my books, and 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 it was really starting to eat at me. <laughs> These people say nasty things about me and whatever. And God, I I really felt the command. Of, I I had to pray for the leaders of this group all the time, and. See, what happens is when we pray for our enemies, pray for the people that we have trouble loving, it gives God a chance to soften our heart and sometimes reveal sort of what they're going through. Um, it's a way we give God a chance to collapse our judgment mechanisms. It protects us. It's probably more for our sake than it's for the enemies because, you see, if we don't do that, then as Brexit alluded to last week, then... Uh, our anger can begin to get on the inside of us and it can be like a cancer and it can eat away at us. The only way to keep from being polluted when you're being lied about or threatened or attacked in some way or having your character assassinated, the only way to keep from being polluted is to stay above that, 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 that game, that judgment game, that hate game, and to love and to have compassion and to have mercy as Jesus did to us. And so I encourage you to pray for the people that you have the hardest time uh, loving. Sometimes I found that God kind of downloads a little piece about their life that helps me see the world from their perspective. What are they going through or what have they gone through in the past? When we're judging folks, that's the, that, that's the last thing we do. 
Uh, you know, if you're judging, you're separate. You don't feel like going in and trying to even trying to understand the world from their perspective. No, it's very convenient. We get to just be superior. But God calls us to humble ourselves and to even for our worst enemy to be open to Him showing us something about their inside life. The most extreme example I've had of this. Um, I, I, I haven't shared this for a couple of years, I don't think. But I, I about ten years ago, some of you remember this story. Maybe it was fifteen years ago. I lose all track of time. Um, there's this report of this guy who had killed this child, this three-year-old child. Cutest kid. He'd killed him, murdered him. And it turns out that uh, this guy was the boyfriend of the little boy's mother. It was a living boyfriend, been living there uh, the whole time. And it turns out that this guy had tortured this little kid almost every day of his life. This poor kid, born every day of his life until he was killed at the age of three. He was tortured in unthinkable ways. Tortured. Bones were broken, and oh, I don't even, I'm not even going to say what he went through. And as I watched this news station, I, anybody would be mad and, and revolted by that, but I've got a thing. Whenever kids suffer, it just puts me in. I go nuts. Something about suffering of kids. My own stuff gets brought into that, I think. And, and, I, and so I was enraged. I was enraged uh, as I saw this news story. And uh, I, I think I was full of hate. And I would have called it righteous indignation. But as Bruxy put it out last week, that I, that, there's a lot of abuse of that concept, righteous indignation. Um, no, this was ungodly demonic hatred that I had. It was justifiable in a normal human sense, but I honestly, and I'm ashamed of this, uh, but we, we, we're, we're in process, right? We're growing. But if I would have, could have known that this guy was going to hell, uh, I think I, w- I would have been happy about that. Uh, and any time that you're not wanting somebody to be in the kingdom of heaven, there's something wrong with your thinking. <laughs> uh, so I had this judgment there, animosity. And that night I was praying, and as I was praying, I got an image. This is how God works with me. Anyways, I, I sometimes get pictures. And I got an image of a little boy in a closet, locked in a closet, and it was dark, and he was scared, and he was crying. His face had been hit and beaten, and, and he was holding it. But he wasn't crying for that reason. He was crying because he's scared of the dark. And, and he was pleading with this person on the other side of the closet door, who I just intuitively knew was the guy who abused him. Uh, he was pleading to be let out, and it was, it was heartbreaking. He was saying, I'll be a good boy, I promise I'll be a good boy. And, and he was just terrified. And my heart, as I'm seeing this picture, as I'm praying, my heart's breaking for this kid. I start to cry. And then I feel this impulse to pray for him, to have intercessory prayer for this. And I'm confused, because... I'm assuming this little boy is the boy who got killed. I assume that's why I had this picture. Uh, and I thought this was the boy who got killed, who was tortured. And in my theology, at least, you don't pray for the dead. Um, so I, I was bewildered, and I kind of asked God, why am I supposed to pray for him? And, and the response I got back, it wasn't audible, but it was very clear. It was, that's not the boy who was killed. That's the man who killed him. And you talk about a reframe. Um, you see, when I was judging the guy, I didn't take the time to try to get in on the, his world. I didn't ask the question, what might have went on that would explain this guy becoming doing such a monstrous thing? But there surely was something. Everyone's got a prequel. And that doesn't excuse their behavior. And the court has to do what the court has to do. But see, as a, as a kingdom person who's called to have reflect the mercy of my father, I'm called to try to imagine a prequel. What, 
No one just wakes up, a healthy human being raised in a healthy family and says, hey, I think I'll get my jollies out of torturing a kid. Something happened here. At some point, this, this guy was a little boy who wanted to be a fireman or a baseball player or a football player or something. What happened? And I don't know. I think this was a word of knowledge that God was giving to me, but maybe it was just a parable. It doesn't matter. But what it was doing is it was saying, as a kingdom person, I am to try to enter in on the inside of his experience and, and then to have compassion on him and to pray for him. And, and to show in whatever way God leads me, show love towards this guy. Because the reality is that everybody on the planet is judging this guy. Uh, there's nothing kingdom about or righteous about judging him. That's what everyone's doing. We are called to love the unlovable. Amen? And when everyone else is judging them, we're called to show mercy and compassion. Because uh, that's what our Father has done for us. And, 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 but to do that, we've got to collapse the judgment mechanisms. And so I encourage us to pray for those who have set themselves against us. Pray for those uh, who you might consider your enemies. And ask God to show you the inside of their life. Uh, something that would lead you to have compassion on them uh, rather than judgment. That's, that's mercy. And blessed are the merciful. And then Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, when I was a new Christian, I, I found this book by Soren Kierkegaard. Any Kierkegaard fans out here? I, I, we have some. I, he's my, one of my favorite authors. I discovered him when I was 18, and uh, the book was called Purity of Heart. The purity of heart is to will one thing. That is Kierkegaard's definition of purity, and I think it really captures the concept here well. Purity of heart is to will one thing. It's to be free of duplicity, uh, free of double-mindedness. You're not pulled in a thousand different directions. It's to have a singular focus, a singular aspiration. That's purity of heart. In the fallen world, we tend to not have a pure heart. We tend to be pulled in a lot of different directions. We have conflicting motives and, and conflicting aspirations, and our life is fragmented. Our life isn't about being integrated on one thing. It's about being fragmented, and we have involvement in a lot of different things that have very little to do with one another. Um, and the kingdom might be one of the things that we're about, but it's not the only thing we're about. To have a pure heart is to... Uh, rather be integrated to, you still do all the things you do, but you bring the kingdom to everything. And the, your, 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 your aspirations for the kingdom then become uh, involved in, in your aspirations for everything else, and your aspirations for everything else become part of, of your aspirations for the kingdom. Everything gets brought under the umbrella of the kingdom. And so you're a kingdom person who's seeking first the kingdom, whether you're mowing the lawn or whether you're doing your job or whether you're coaching the football game or whatever you're doing, it's all kingdom. You integrate God into everything and everything into God. That's having a pure heart. And Jesus says, if you have a pure heart, you'll see God. That's why you're blessed. Seeing God throughout the Bible is, is considered the highest. Uh, the, the, it's what makes heaven heaven. It's the highest reward. It's, it's the, the greatest hope. Uh, because to see God is to see, well, the source of all that is good and beautiful and lovely and, and true. And, and so to see God and have an intimate face-to-face relationship with God, that's the ultimate hope of, of the believer. And that's the reward of a person who has a pure heart. Now let's ask the question. This is so important because we get so screwed up on this. Is Jesus saying, have a pure heart and you'll get the prize, which is you get to see God? Is Jesus saying, if you're merciful, then God will show you mercy as a reward. If you eat your vegetables, then you'll get the cookie. Is it that kind of reward? Because if it is, well, it's all screwed up then because mercy that is earned is not mercy. And the Bible from beginning to end, at least throughout the New Testament, tells us that we can't earn God's love or merit God's love or achieve God's love or his mercy. No, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. So, so what kind of reward is this? 
What, what kind of reward is he talking about? To answer that question, let's quickly look at another, one other passage that deals with seeing God. It's found in 1 John. John says that uh, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies themselves, for he is pure. Now that phrase is really interesting. I used to be so puzzled over that. We shall see him like he is, for we shall... Oh, no, we, we, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How does for we shall see him as he is explain, for we will be like him? Well, you, you, you can't understand it unless you know this. There's an ancient piece of wisdom that goes back at least to the time of Plato. Um, and it, in essence, says this. Knowledge, here's a little philosophy now, so get ready to think. Knowledge presupposes likeness. All right? It's, it's the essence of the Platonic epistemology. As knowledge presupposes likeness. To know something, you have to share its nature or have something that corresponds to its nature. So it's like this. Here's my dog, Max. He's the cutest dog in the world. Shelly and I love this cat dog way too much. Ever since our kids left, man, this, when our kids finally grew up and moved out, this dog won the lottery. <laughs> He's the most loved dog in the world. So we love Max. Now, here's the thing. Max knows us to some degree. Uh, he shares some of our nature. He can know some of us. So Max gets why we eat, because he gets hungry and wants to eat. And Max knows why we sleep, because he gets tired and, 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 and needs to sleep. And Max knows why we go potty. So there's some things that Max knows about us, the baser parts of us. He shares that nature. But Max doesn't have a clue what we're doing when we're talking. When I talk to Max, he's just like, what are you doing? I talk to him every morning, but he never knows what I'm doing. Or when we're watching the news. It's the funniest thing. He thinks we're looking out the window. I'm sure wondering, why do they keep looking out this window? (laughs) Unless there's a dog on television, and then he runs to the TV, and he just takes that dog out. He'll run behind the television trying to find the dog. You'd think after seven years he would have picked up. He's not the brightest dog in the world, but he's cute. So he doesn't know why, you know, or when I'm reading a book, he, he, he's so puzzled. Why, why are you staring at that thing? You know, he doesn't get that because he doesn't have anything in his nature that corresponds to that. Knowledge presupposes likeness, all right? And so what, what John is saying here is this, that um, the more you're like God, the more you know God, the more you see God. Knowledge presupposes likeness. And since God is pure in heart, as we are like God in being pure in heart, we see God. The more we are like God in bringing, uh, in being integrated, the more we can see God. And the more we understand and know and see God, the, the more we're motivated to be in his likeness. And the more we're in his likeness, the more we see God. The more we see God, the more we're in his likeness. And now you're on a snowball. Yeah, there's a snowball effect that's sending you down the road to everlasting life. But seeing God isn't the, the cookie for eating your vegetables. Seeing God is simply the natural consequence of living a life where you have cultivated the kind of character that can see God. It's a natural consequence. It's what ethicists call an internal reward rather than an external reward. Uh, an internal reward is uh, the effect that comes out of the behavior. An external reward is simply something that you impose that has got nothing to do with the behavior. You steal, you go to prison. Well, the prison doesn't have anything to do with your stealing. But if you get emphysema for, and you smoke four packs of cigarettes for 40 years, well, the punishment is, is a natural outgrowth of the behavior. All of the rewards and punishments in the kingdom are like that. They're, they're intrinsic rewards. They're the natural consequence of, of having a kind of relationship with God and cultivating a kind of a life that positions you 
to experience God. And the more we're like God, the more and more profoundly we can see and experience the things of God. And the more we profoundly experience the things of God, the more uh, that we are transformed into his likeness. So also with mercy. When Jesus says, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. He's not saying that you're going to get the cookie for eating your vegetables. Uh, you're, you're not earning it or anything of the sort. All he's saying here is this. When you're merciful, you, you, you're engaged in a behavior that softens your heart. You're expanding yourself. You are, you are doing, you are to that degree in the likeness of God because God is merciful. And the more you are like that, the more you can know God's mercy and experience God's mercy and, and understand God's mercy. And the more you see God's mercy, the more you give mercy. And the more you give mercy, the more you can see mercy. And the more you see mercy, the more you can give mercy. And now you're on down the road that ends in mercy and ends in the kingdom of God where you see God and, and, and all of that. Uh, it's a natural consequence of living a certain kind of life. Same thing with forgiveness. People have always wondered, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have, have sinned against us. And it looks like forgiveness is a reward. But in fact, Jesus is simply saying that as you forgive, you open yourself up to experience more profoundly and understand more profoundly the forgiveness of God, which in turn motivates us to forgive, which in turn opens us up to more forgiveness, and now you're on the snowball effect that leads to everlasting life. But the opposite's also true. Jesus says, if you judge, you will be judged. If you condemn, you will be condemned. And the judgment you give is the judgment you're going to receive. Again, it's not an external thing that he's imposing on us. He's simply saying this. If you judge, you're rejecting mercy. You're rejecting likeness to God. Uh, You're playing God. And that hardens your heart. That decreases your capacity to be like God and therefore your capacity to see and understand God and to receive his mercy, even to desire his mercy. Because the more you go in judgment, the less you think you need uh, a mercy. And so you're headed down a merciless, uh, a road to uh, mercilessness and lovelessness, which is hell. That's the judgment. There's not an extra judgment that has to be imposed on you. You are yourself bringing about the judgment by cultivating a kind of life that pushes aside mercy. And the end of the whole thing, if we are living in mercy and extending forgiveness and living in love, the end of it, John says, is that we will eventually be like him and we'll see him exactly as he is. Praise God. That's the hope, folks. So there come a time when all that clouds our vision will be done away with. Praise God. When all the wounds will be healed, when all the sin will be eradicated, when our character will be transformed, when all of our hangups are done away with. Praise God. And we will see him as he is in all of his beauty and all of his grace and all the fullness of his glory. And it will be wonderful. It will be wonderful. Uh, that's the end result. Amen. Amen. Okay, we actually have time for some questions. I did it. Woo! I, uh, see, I rewrote the whole sermon between services. There it is, right there. Okay, let's, uh, let's take a couple questions. How far should we go in extending mercy to those near t- to us? If someone you care about continually stumbles with the same problem, do you stop showing mercy at some point and let them go? Excellent question. Excellent question. Yeah, here's the thing. It takes wisdom to know, to answer this question. Um, and yet you have to be, to, to, you know, be on the inside of the person's life. I think it, it's always good to, in fact, I, I know it's always good to be on the inside of the person. Uh, to, to always be imagining their life, what they're going through. And to always, therefore, have a compassionate attitude towards them. And therefore, never to have a judging attitude towards them. But there are times in relationships where wisdom 
tells you that, that um, you, sometimes you need to crack down, uh, that, that you become an enabler if you keep on uh, just, just letting it go. Um, there, love sometimes is, is tough. God does this with us. I think God always is merciful, has a merciful attitude towards us. God always uh, has a compassionate attitude towards us. But God also, and he, out of his love, tries to protect us from the consequences of the road we're going down as, as, as much as possible. As long as there's hope, he tries to pull us back to protect us from judgment, which is the consequences of our of our, our sinful and stupid behavior. But there comes a point, the Bible shows us, where God, he sees that, that that approach is not working. And the only way we're going to learn is by experiencing the consequences. And it can be terrible. And that's tough love. And we find it several times in the Bible where he gives them over, gives people over to experience the judgment they brought on themselves. And sometimes with loved ones, you got to say, I, I am no longer going to keep you from experiencing the consequences of your decision. I've tried, we intervene, you try to protect them from uh, the hitting bottom, but if they keep on going on and on and on and on, there may come a point where wisdom will tell you that, that you need to let them go and hit the ground because that's the only way they're going to learn and possibly turn around. Um, yeah, so I, there, I, there's no absolute answer to that, how far do you go? Uh, just know that there's a time when you maybe must, but you have to be on, on the inside of the relationship to, to know that. Excellent, got time for one more. I'm so proud of myself. I had made time for questions. <laughs> I, I, and I love this part of the service too. I just got to learn how to shut up more, be succinct. How do we balance mercy and justice when it comes to things like sex trafficking? Oh, very good. In one and a half minutes. Here's the thing. Okay, so when you're dealing with, with something like sex trafficking, a social thing like this, or all social issues, uh, as as a kingdom person, I, I again believe it's always uh, appropriate and necessary to have a merciful, compassionate attitude. Take that abuser, for example. I, I, a kingdom person should be set apart precisely because um, you, you, you are willing to imagine the prequel that led that person to do these monstrous things. But that doesn't for a second mean that I think the court should be merciful to this guy. I, I, I don't think it means that, that the court should go light on him or anything. A person like that, society needs to be protected from a person like that. And so I would want the judge to crack down and put this guy behind bars and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's the, the, the government's use of the sword, Romans 13 kind of a thing. And it's very, very necessary in this fallen world. That's the thing that keeps the world from being insane. And so to be a merciful kingdom person does not mean that you don't do that. But it does mean that we individually and as a tribe... Um, we don't stop there. Yeah, yeah, the government has to do what the government's got to do, but we're to be a people who our attitude isn't defined by government or by what the laws of the land stipulate. Our, our, our attitude is defined by Jesus Christ. And so it'd be appropriate to say, we've got to get these kids out of sex trafficking. We've got to have the police crack down on the sex traffickers and, and, and put a stop to this. But at the same time, to say, if, if, if God leads the, a community in this, in this direction, we need to visit the uh, uh, sex traffickers in prison. Uh, we need to be uh, extending friendship to them. Uh, we need to you know, show, be showing them love. It's, that's not incompatible to say, this person needs to be in prison. I need to love this person. and show Court shouldn't show mercy on this person. I should show mercy on this person. Those are not incompatible things. Excellent questions, you guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget this uh, Tuesday to come together and uh, let's celebrate our king and... Uh, 
Remember that the kingdom of God is distinct from every version of the kingdom of this world because the kingdom of God always looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the very people who crucified him. And that is the life that we are called to emulate uh, towards all people at all times. Collapse the judgments. Holy Spirit, help us to collapse these judgments. In fact, as I close in prayer here, I want to ask the prayer team to come up. And if you have any need that whatsoever that you could use prayer for, I encourage you to come up here and, and uh, talk to these folks. Uh, don't leave here with that on, on, on your shoulders. And I won't be able to sit around. Uh, to, I love to spend time talking with folks after the service, but right now i got to go catch a plane. Uh, so I won't be able to do that. But uh, Lord, as we close here, would you, Holy Spirit, wake us up to pollution in our brains. Wake us up, God, to the judgments that we carry around and that cork, that stop uh, the flow of mercy and love in our life. And God, free us to be a people who just know how to dance in your love and to extend your love and mercy to every person we come in contact with. Uh, God, to be a, a merciful people and a people who are growing in our, our, our purity of heart, integrating you into everything we do and everything we think. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said... God bless you guys. Love you. Go out and love on the world.